So where are we going today, Kev? So, Dan, we've um, just packed up at Foyers Pier and we're going to leave and do a route which I like to call Fantastic Foyers, which is going to take us in around the Foyers area, up past Cameron's, down Glenlea, past the pipeline, yeah. and then at the back to some nice viewpoints. It's going to be spectacular. And the, the weather today, is, is uh, as you can see, is, uh, is very, very, very nice. You know, so is. I'm very, very pleased. Yeah. It is a wonderful day for getting out on the bikes. Today I'm going for a respite ride with Kev Stacey from Inverness-based 4-2 Cycling. Kev's a former Blackwatch soldier. He comes from a proud Blackwatch family and served for 25 years in the military. But life changed in 2004 after he was injured in Basra, southern Iraq. Kev left the army in 2019, but like so many other veterans, he faced an uphill struggle over the following years coming to terms with his experiences of war, leaving the protective cloak of the armed forces, dealing with the loss of close friends, and working out who he was now he was back on Civvy Street. That sounds like a pretty pretty strong cocktail, Kev. Well, it is a, it is a strong cocktail. Um, and actually, we went to turn right here, but we'll carry on straight down, which is fine. <laughs> but then that's life, isn't it? You know, it is. Life's full of up and downs. You know, so. yeah which we'll find out, I suppose, in due course. <laughs> we will, we will. I'm Dan Holland. Speaking of Suicide is made for and in collaboration with Mikey's Line. And as with all these podcasts, Speaking of Suicide is meant to be open and honest. That's the whole point of it. But that doesn't always make for an easy listen. So remember, you can press pause anytime you want. And don't forget, there is support from Mikey's Line, and I'll give their details out after we've heard from Kev. Kev, we'll, we'll unpick how you came to develop respite rides in just a sec, but for now, tell, tell me what is a respite ride and what do you do on them? Um, so respite rides really is something that I've uh, identified with um, certainly myself. I get, uh, I get a lot of respite from, uh, from cycling my bike. Yeah. And what I found uh, several of the years was um, it helps massively with my sort of mindset. I'm out in the open, I'm out in the fresh air, get to see some stunning views. So it's not just good for sort of my physical health, it's actually really good for my sort of mental health as well. Yeah. You know, so getting that sort of peace and quiet and it gives you that opportunity to sort of unpick the, the, the trials and tribulations, the thoughts and the, 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 the issues that you've got going on in your life at the time. And what I quite like about that is if, if you imagine a, a pocket full of problems, and um, you know you pop in the pop in your pocket, and you're going for a cycle. It could be a road bike, gravel bike, mountain bike, whatever, whatever um, sort of uh, sort of mode of transport that really floats your sort of boat there. But uh, you know you, you actually go for a go for a pedal, and you go out for a couple of hours, and you're sitting there, and you you know you're thinking about these sort of different issues and stuff you've got going on in your life. And then when you get home, you know you sort of sorted them all out. Yeah. You know, your brain has processed them all, and. Um, and that pocket full of problems, if you equate it to like uh, having a pocket full of sand, you've got like a, a hole in the bottom of your pocket, well, but then you get back, it's all disappeared. It's all disappeared. You know, so you've worked yeah. through all these issues, you've worked through all these, like, uh, these problems, all these concerns and worries that you've got. And uh, the brain is naturally, uh, well, it's designed to process your thoughts and, and it's, it's, it's wanting to put things in the relevant box. And because in today's sort of, like, uh, modern day life, we don't get the opportunity, really. Yeah. We, we don't get the opportunity to sort of have a bit of time to ourselves to to process what we've seen and done during that day, for example, let alone 
some traumatic events that people have been through. Traumatic events takes a lot longer for you to process. So obviously a bit more sort of riding. However, you know, I am, you know, for a, sort of maybe some of the listeners who are listening who, who are, um, you know, having a bit of a bad day, you know, well, that's just that day. Yeah, you know, that's just, you know. You know tomorrow you to, is a new day. Yeah, exactly. And you could, you could, you know, if you had to go for a ride and, you know, you could then have that bit of alone time to process what's happened during that day to then set yourself up for the next day. So it's, uh, it's very much on that sort of path. And that's why I've got um, uh, the, sort of the respite, well, that's all, I called it respite rides, because you're gaining respite from riding your bike. So it's not just a, a case of going out for a, a jolly, it's, you're actually improving your own sort of psychological and uh, sort of mental well-being, you yeah. know, as well as your physical and, health. You know. And we are so lucky today down in Foyers that I'm not sure we could get a better day for being out on the bikes. Oh, it's, uh, I, it's, I've never ridden down here at all, and we're on some of your e-bikes i've never ridden an e-bike before even so <laughs> this is going to be this is going to be great fun let's let's just go off and have aye. a ride hi fantastic man but if we just add the best bit about getting out on your bike is once you've done all this processing and stuff and you get back in then you get the endorphin boost which makes your brain feel even better you know so it's like the it's, double hit isn't it it's, it's a massive double hit it's a massive double hit you know? yeah so it's, uh, it's it's very 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 good for your uh, for your health and it's no coincidence that people are now picking up on this and, you know, doctors, you know, various uh, industry bodies are picking up on um, are picking up on uh, the fact that cycling bikes and being out in the outdoors is, uh, is great for your, your mental health. up back of Foyer's Kev. We've stopped in, we're just sitting in the top of a, sort of the side of a weed glen. There's flowers growing, there's long grass, bits of timber on the ground, but where are we? So this is um, quite a well-known uh, little stretch of area, Glen Lear, which um, for road cyclists, they come along to Inverfarragh, you turn left and they then turn right at the little bridge and follow this little road up. So certainly people who are listening who are from Inverness will know this area reasonably well if they're a cyclist because this is a, a little back road that avoids some pretty um, steep climbs on a road bike to get you to, to for instance, like Cameron's Tea Room, which is a popular cyclist stop. And this little road takes you all the way up past a pipeline, quite, quite a well-known feature. But it's a stunning, stunning uh, location. It's not very well uh, explored, I feel. Certainly not on a bike anyway, um, and uh, we're sat now in amongst all this uh, this this lovely sort of greenery and uh, the flowers flowering, and it's uh, fantastic. And it's, it is bluebird day, the sun's beating down, the sky's blue, butterflies just flapped in between us. It, I mean, it couldn't be nicer to be out and about mm -hmm. in the Highlands. We now, I said at the beginning, you came from a, a proud Black Watch family. Were you always destined to join the army? Do you think? Um, uh, probably yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, had a, I mean, I don't know if I was fortunate or not, but I, um, when I was very young, I, I kind of knew what I wanted to do in life. You know, so, well, when I say knew what to do in life, I, I knew I wanted to go to Queen Victoria Military Bowling School. So, um, and then when I got there, I knew I wanted to join the army, and that's probably in part because uh, you know my family history. I had my grandfather, uncle, and father who all served in the Black Watch, and they all uh, overlapped with each other. You know, one one with each other, and I certainly overlapped uh, my service with my uh, my father who was, when I joined, the then family's officer as an officer, 
and I was a young private soldier having to salute your dad. <laughs> what, 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 what a cool thing that and, would be, isn't it? You know? But what about when you got home as well? You still, did you have to carry that on at home? And... Well, uh, there's one, one uh, sort of, I suppose, funny story. I was in, uh, down in Purbright um, uh, in, in the, the barracks down there. Alexandria Barracks is at the back of the sort of, main camp in Purbright, Purbright sort of, uh, garrison, so to speak. And, um, and, and I was walking along and... And I thought, oh no, here he, he comes, here he comes. And I was with some other soldiers at the time. And, uh, and then there was only three of us, so you know, I had to throw up a salute, you know, so as we did. And uh, he called me back and he says, dishes tonight. What <laughs> 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 was that? All right, sir. <laughs> Which is quite funny, but that was, that was yeah. uh, you know, that was one of two times that we sort of crossed paths properly. So yeah. quite, quite fun, like, you know, to sort and, of cross paths. You know, you know I, I can tell today from riding with you, we've been riding for a couple of hours before we stop here, and you are just passionate about the bike was has cycling always been a passion for you as well um yes i mean uh, i loved my bike as a child i uh, absolutely loved getting out and what it used to do for me certainly and I, dare i say for everybody and it's still you still hark back to that sort of moments when you are a child um is that sort of exploration it gives you a sense of freedom you can jump on something and they can t- transport you to some some new area pretty easily whereas if you're walking or running it's a bit more physical and exertion you know required to to get there which makes you more tired, which means you can't really maximise that area, explore that area properly. And it's that sort of exploration which was key. And, um, and dare I say, when I joined, uh, joined the military, you know, the, the army, and it wasn't really until I sort of got down, down to Wales as a, as, you know, a colour sergeant, and then later on as a divisional sergeant major, that um, I started to, uh, started to get back into biking properly, because you could leave from the front door, you see. And you know, I used to commute back and forward into, into the, the barracks you know, on a bike, and then on the weekends I'd be able to jump on my bike and go and ride around the Windy Gap, for example, and things like that. So all from my front door, which is fantastic. And when I come back to Inverness um, uh, properly in 2014, it was, I got really big into the, sort of the road riding. I got bitten by that quite badly. And then that sort of led us up to leaving in 2019. You know, so when I then thought, well, I'm going to chase my passion off cycling and set up, uh, set up 4-2 cycling to take people to amazing places. Very much in a sort of a holistic type front, but um, I want to transport you, which, whichever bike it is, could be mountain bike, gravel bike or road bike, to amazing places so you can see some amazing views and really open up uh, open up your mind and make you feel better about yourself and then have that sort of uh, physical and um, uh, sort of mental, psychological sort of release, you know, so, you know, have a nice respite ride, you know. We can really feel today, I think, the benefit of being out on the bike and being out in the wilderness and being outside, but we'll, we'll talk about respite rides Mm -hmm. throughout our conversation but to understand a bit more about why we have ended up having a respite ride today we need to go kind of right back to the beginning a wee bit here can you in your own way and as much or as little as you want take me back to august 2004 and and where you were what you were doing and what happened I certainly. So, in two thousand and three, we went to to a conflict, the war in Iraq. I I moved early on coming back there. I'd barely back two and a half months back in uh, Battlesby Barracks at the time in Warminster, when we got the call to go back out to Iraq, and then two months later into that that uh, that, um, that particular uh, deployment, I was uh, blown up and very seriously injured. So, and that I suppose for me at the time was quite a turning point in sort of life. Sort of perception and um, and uh, and how you sort of view view where you see yourself going in life, uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, it was all part of the August uprisings uh, when they wanted us out basically, and it was it was interesting because it was light and day, 
where uh, you had the year before, you know, the, the Rakis were, you know, the, sort of the Bajra people were very happy to see you and welcomed you into the city and they're giving you tea and coffees and all sorts of things, you know, little, little sweets, a lot of other sweets, you know, like the sweet tooth, sort of pastries, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're very, very happy to see you to the end, like a, a year, barely a year later, 11 months later, you know, they're, they wanted you out. We are in a warrior armoured fighting vehicle at the time and uh, we'd been given the route to go and, you know, basically crashed into Bajra, so I followed the route. And, uh, and as we as we went round, quite a big market turned right, um, and then, then there was a vehicle. I remember a vehicle being in front, and it uh, it was driving quite slow. And there was a young young gentleman, great guy uh, called Mark Ferns, who sadly passed away in that instant. You know, because he didn't even the injuries he sustained he didn't survive from, which is uh, very sad. And he was a great lad. He slept in the bed next to me in a tent actually, but um, he. Uh, well, anyway, this this vehicle, you know, was going slow, and he he got in the, the blow, and I says, "What do you want me to do? Do you want me to slow down or speed up?" And I says, "Well, let's just keep our distance." And I'm thinking, but when I look back on that now in hindsight, that vehicle was slowing us down for a reason. It was there to to fix us, really, you know. So, and it worked to fix us so that whoever's and you know going to set off this command wire IED improvised explosive device was going to you know have that opportunity to hit the perfect you know time. By the, by fix you, you mean slow us down. Slow to, you down, so you are. A tar a, a, an easier, an target. easier target. Yeah, absolutely, and um, and that's what they did. So, but that's something that does that does sort of play in my mind, and I, I do feel um, certainly a bit um, responsible, dare I say, because I was a sergeant and I'd been there before, uh, the year before. And I just had a, a, a young platoon commander literally just joined us. Um, literally, it was about three days before we went into Bajra. so he just just literally passed out of training, done all his uh, his phase three training with uh, the warrior vehicle, and then uh, and then got flown out. So they had a platoon commander change, and he was very, very fortunate. So as sergeant, you would have been leading a group of how many men? So I, would, uh, I was responsible for um, having uh, 30, 36 soldiers under my charge, the way it sort of operated. You have three sections, you have a platoon commander, and you have like a platoon headquarters, you see. So and obviously the platoon sergeant's there. Um, probably the best way to describe it, it's kind of like a father figure type thing, you know. And, and they use this like an element of sort of carrot and stick as well, like sometimes a bit of stick to keep people motivated, but not very often because you know you can't do that. And it's like um, if you do it too much, it becomes ineffective. But a bit of carrot and stick, and you know, and uh, and then certainly the carrots, you know, look after your soldiers as much as possible. And what's good about uh, the military, but it can also be a negative, is um, they make you take ownership of your of your men, you know, of your people, and that's a really admirable quality. The negative to that is. You feel responsible, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so and that's and that's a, an after effect that that can uh, that can have a, a detrimental impact on your life later on. That you, you know you are responsible for your men, and if somebody dies on your watch, then you are responsible. You know that's what it feels like the, with myself. Like so, you you mentioned Mark Ferns there, and and he sadly died of his injuries. W were you injured in that accident? Uh, <coughs> yes. So I was. Um, I was very. Very serious injured. So when the, the blast went off, um, I mean, obviously, well, the last conversation with Mark was, you know, was that conversation about what do you want to do? Do you want to slow down and speed up? And I said, slow down, keep the distance. Um, there's a, a gentleman um, called Chris Badley at the time, who was young platoon commander, and he, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he asked where we were at the time, and I said, we're at Orange One. And I just double checked my map, glanced down. At that point, I double checked, glanced down at my map. Uh, the blast went off, and a whole load of um, uh, shipyard confetti and stuff flew out. Uh, a ball bearing hit my helmet, 
Now, you know, if I, if I was looking down now, if I was looking up, that'd be in the centre of my face, so I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now. Yeah. But it hit my helmet, it didn't penetrate the helmet, thankfully, but your skull's designed to clamps over pressure, which is what happened. Um, I had my arms sitting in between uh, the two sort of hatches, and uh, what happened is um, <coughs> the ball bearing, I thought, had hit my helmet and come off and hit my arm. So I lift my arm up, it looked like a jellified mess, and it, and it wasn't. And, it was just a, just a blast had done that. I didn't know I'd been blown up. I thought I'd been mm -hmm. shot. So I was shouting I'd been shot, and I was shouting to Mark to drive, you know, to drive at the contact, thinking it was a contact. It wasn't a contact, it was a bomb blast. But um, Mark, uh, unfortunately, didn't survive that, so. It's, it's, it's really hard for me, and I suspect other people listening who haven't, served in any of our armed forces to imagine or start to understand what you went through or what that is was like for you and I I think I can pick up from the emotion it's stirring in you now even speaking about it what it does to you and how it probably affected you is it This isn't meant to be a, a, a crass question, and if it's a step too far, just say. How did that long-term effect on you from there, how did that play out? I mean, you've talked about guilt already. Aye. So, the way that the, the military system works makes you feel responsible for your men, and I certainly do, still do, feel very responsible for my death. But for me, directly after that, um, I was... Uh, I blacked out for a couple of seconds, that would be shot. I then was, you know, I looked at my arm and thought, well, that's going to be painful. I had some fun and games of morphine with the soldiers in because it was a very poor, poorly designed auto -morph uh, morphine auto injector, but it had a red and a yellow end. So if I said to you, red, what do you think? Which, well, so if you've got a needle that comes out of a, of a, a vial and you see a red end and a yellow end, which side do you think the needle comes out? Red end. Incorrect. It'd be the yellow end. Red's danger to arm it. So the fog of war closes in. The fog in. of everything yeah, else. Yeah, and it, people they don't panic. They just they just don't think clearly. You know, you don't have a, a clear thought process. So I had two soldiers who went to um, <coughs> who went to inject me, and went subsequently injected themselves. You know, so so there's another two casualties. And that's just that's just just what happens. Like you know, thankfully we weren't under like sustained contact. It was just a one-off explosion. So so that was a that was a I suppose one positive because then. then you know, there wasn't anybody else getting injured in that sort of aspect, so that was a good thing. Two two vehicles, um, but uh, what felt like two seconds was actually probably about thirty minutes. Where um, uh, it's like the 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 Mert team came in, dropped. They basically, you know, I was really walking wounded. I walked onto that's the helicopter. The Mert fine. team. That's the the medical emergency response recovery team. response yeah, team yeah. to take you Aye. out yep. to get you. Aye, and then they took us back to um, uh, the Shaibel Logistics Base, which is where they had the main sort of. Care. Sort of base now, you know, so didn't have any sort of um, had some little pockets in, in Paris, but the main sort of base at the, sort of the airport, airport. And um, so from there, I walked onto the helicopter fine. And I remember the, the, the then loadmaster saying, Can you strap yourself in? I said, Well, pff, what? You know, <laughs> like my arm, mate, you know. So, but he strapped us in, and, uh, and they did a fantastic job because, you know, they, they worked on Mark, and, you know, and it's, uh, it's something that's going to haunt me for a long time, but. To see his body getting worked on so vigorously, it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite traumatic in itself. I think, 
you know, and certainly some of the emergency services people, you know, take my hat off to them massively because they're doing it on a regular basis, you know. They're not doing it in the war, they're doing it on, uh, like, daily basis on roads and stuff and, you know, out in the, you know, whatever, like, mountains and stuff. If somebody's getting trouble in the mountains, they're flying in and they're helping these people, which is a, you know, fantastic sort of, like, um, sort of job they do. And, you know, very much appreciate them for that. But seeing that, like, sitting there doing that, and I thought, you know, take my hat to these people because they're, they're doing the very best they could for him. You know, but sadly I could see that, you know, he'd already passed away, his fingers were blue, um, his lips were blue, so I, I knew he'd gone, like, you know, so he wasn't responsive at all, it was, a, you know, an absolute travesty. Um, either way, we flew back to, uh, to Shaiba, landed, um, and then I blacked out. So I woke up a day and a half later in, uh, <coughs> in Kuwait, thinking, what am I doing here? So, and there's my mother and wife stood in the doorway, you know, it's like, oh, what's <laughs> going on here, like, oh. But, uh, Unbeknown to me, um, myself, they didn't think I was going to pull through, so they flew my mother and my wife across to Kuwait to, to see me before they had to do any, I don't know, switching off machines or yeah. something, I don't, I'm not sure. No, but um, it was a Hungarian brain surgeon that operated on me that, that evening of the, well, about a day and a half, so pretty much that evening of the incident, and a day and a half later I see my mother and, um, and, uh, and wife in the doorway, like, you know. But uh, it's a bit of a, I don't know if it's a funny story or not, but certainly I thought I was a dead man, you know, because... Um, I remember waking up at some point over that time and seeing strip lights and stuff and the lights, you know, the blinding lights people talk about. Thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dead, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not alive anymore, you know, type thing. So, and that's probably, I don't know if that's your beliefs or what, that, that comes to fruition. But, because um, I do remember feeling a, like a distinct, like, like bang on my chest. And that's when I opened my lights and my eyes and I thought, well, actually, there's something there, something right here. This is, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, a, I, you know, I've passed away, you know, and I've seen this lady, grey hair, flowery dress on. I start thinking to myself, well, perhaps God isn't a man, you know, like we all associate with, you know. Yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe it's a, it's a lady speaking some language or some sort of thing I didn't understand, you know. So it wasn't until, you know, a couple of days later, I was when I actually come to properly, that I then found out that that was a Hungarian brain surgeon's assistant, who was Hungarian, who was wearing a flowery dress, who'd banged my chest to bring my consciousness up to a oh. certain level so that I didn't go too deep into a sort of coma, because yeah. I was in a coma. So, and I, and I thought well, I was very grateful to her for that, but at the same time, you know, that gave me that sort of, like, um, sort of thought process of thinking, oh, where am I, what am I doing? And I actually settled upon that, actually, no, no, I'm not dead, I'm in a hospital. How did you come to terms with your injuries and your, I guess, what your future was going to be in the, the medium, longer term after that? Obviously, you had a, a huge recovery to get through first of all, but your life had suddenly taken a different course to where it was going to mm. go. How did you deal with that? So that's an interesting question because um, so when I was in Wales, I used to always focus on the after effects. I used to, I used to do a thing called Relatives of War. It's like, um, it's like chat to young officers going through their, uh, their training and stuff. And I used to, do, I used to focus on the, the after part more than the sort of during. So, you know, everyone's you know, certainly in the military these days, you know, Probably not currently, but that sort of period, you know, vast, vast majority of people had experienced conflict and, uh, you know, actually been out and been shot at and had the excitement of, of you know, scooting around and doing, doing their sort of job, you know, so they've all got war stories to tell. So I used to sort of minimise that aspect and focus on the sort of after period, uh, after part. And that, for me, very much stemmed from the recovery from uh, Kuwait back to Selly Oak. So I got flown back by Learjet uh, and then... I then got treated uh, of um, uh, a Pakistani doctor for my ulna and radial that had been blown away. So they put two uh, two plates and ten screws into my forearm there, and then I was discharged after you know uh, back home you know, to be what's known in the military as sick at home. 
in in a in a like a like a terraced house in Warminster, um, basically going off my head. <laughs> so I didn't know what happened to me. I didn't know where I was going. I'd lost lost Mark. I'd lost um, future. And unbeknownst to me, I'd lost quite a lot of things. You know, so you know, um, and it was explained to me by a psychologist who says, "This is what's happened to you. you know, you've lost this. You've lost that. You've lost." You know, basically hope, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the advice she gave me then was great at the time, but didn't doesn't really work well. Only works for so long, and then and then it stops. I'll come back to that. But um, what I find myself doing in that period was uh, gambling. I was doing anything I could to to um, make myself forget. You it, was know. A, it was a distraction. Absolute distraction. So I was getting up. You know, I was getting up. You know, I was, I was up. it sounds like you were grieving. Well, in it many was. Ways. I, you were grieving. I, I, for Mark, but you're grieving for your own loss. Well, it's a sad guilt, I think, you know, because I, I know I've got, I've got survivor's guilt, you know, so, and um, at the time I was, I was gambling, I was, I was going in the William Henry wheel, so I was, I was playing, I was putting a, like, starting off £100, I put, like, I was always going zero, 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 put money on a zero, you know, like, uh, and then, and it'd come in and it'd, it'd multiply up, but then where it got to a point where it was um, probably too much was, his wife went down to Warminster to get some money. This is in the days of Switch. You only mm-hmm. had a certain limit. I think it was about two and a half thousand pounds then or something like that. So, and I'd maxed out the Switch card. This was on a late Friday. There's no banks open on a Saturday, Sunday, you know. You know back then, obviously now, life's so much busier. So and, you were gambling a couple of grand a day? No, so, so what happened was um, I started off with a hundred pound. I gambled and, and actually made two and a half, like just under, just under three thousand pounds there. But I gambled away two and a half thousand pounds. So I'd maxed out the switch card, you see, trying to gain that more. And that wasn't too, too shabby, some, some back then, like, you know, so, but, um, and that really was a catalyst to, to my wife, who, I, you know, I do certainly feel for now, you know, certainly looking back on that, um, to, to go and see somebody and say, listen, you know, you need to speak to him, you know. Mm-hmm. So, because she, she was at the end of a tether, you know, um, so I'm sitting there with my arm, arm damaged, and she was like, you know, she, she had her own, sorry guys, she was going through a bit of a traumatic time as well, I suppose, you know, with, with myself. So and you, you, kind of, you kind of lose sort of perspective on that. And I think and focus perhaps as well. Well, absolutely. You know, it's that, um, it's that sort of pebble in the pond type thing, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, you've got the, the centre point, and it's the ripples. Yeah. And it's everybody, it's on these different ripples that have been affected as well, like, and she yeah. was affected, you know, so and her way of, um, of dealing with things was to kind of run away, you know, so... You know, so she'd disappear off without sounding bad. You know, it's just her way of coping things. You know, she'd, she'd say, oh, I'm just going to pop in and see uh, see my pal Beth or whatever, like, and she would come back for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Do that. Where have you been? Like, you know, I'm sitting there with my boy who's um, two and a half years old there with a broken arm, you know, one hand, trying to do stuff. Like, um, you know, but, uh, you know, but cut a long story short, I was gambling for the minute I got up pretty much to, to when I went to bed. And if I wasn't gambling, I was on, uh, on a, a game called Command and Conquer. Which was um, you could easily lose a lot of time there, which is where you build your forces up and you go away and you defeat other forces and stuff. Very much tapped into the military mindset, still in charge of your men type mm-hmm. thing, you know, still looking after people and you know trying to trying to win the battle. But um, you know, I was hooked on that, and then when I got bored of that, I go back with the the William Hill roulette wheel, and that was like till early clock in the morning. And it, and it, and burning the candle at both ends is a phrase often used. You know, it only gets to a certain point. But I didn't know what uh, I didn't know what I was going through. It didn't, wasn't really clear. As to why I was behaving the way I was behaving and stuff, and so on. It wasn't until that sort of pushing point of um, uh, the switch can being maxed out that uh, my wife got the family's officer then involved. He's now called welfare officer in today's money, 
Um, and he came down and he's you know, spoke to us and then, you know, he was like, this is like my remit, you know, this is like, you know. So he got specialist help and uh, the, the lady who was, I was very grateful, just felt like a relief just to, just to get it all off. I look at her sort of chest. Aye, absolutely. But I did that very quickly and then she was like, say very quickly, um, you know, I got it all off my it's like, uh, chest and I felt better about myself instantly. But then she gave me a bit of advice then which helps you for so long and then you fall off the cliff face again. So that bit of advice you gave me was uh, keep your mind busy. Which back then was probably the right advice, but in today's sort of life, what we know now, was probably it was not, probably not the right advice, you know. So and you can only keep yourself busy for so long. And then what you find is you do fall off a cliff face, you know. And then, and then uh, when I look back on it now, that in itself, dare I say, is sort of life really, you know, we all get to a certain point. You know, and what I've got better at now with managing is recognising that right, I'm close, you know. I then take that step back, you know. You see, so no, I can I can say enough, you know, I've I've come off twice and both times it's took me longer to get back up to where I was than it is just to take that step back. You know, if that makes sense, you know. When you say you've come off twice, does I, that mean uh, you've your I've had to get sort of professional help. Your yeah. route to recovery Aye. since then you've had a couple of knockbacks? Um well, that's when I say come off twice, that's where, you know, you go for so long and then you feel you can't give any more. Yeah. And you sort of at the end of your tether type thing uh, and you have to get professional help, basically. So thankfully there's people around about me who did steer me to, to, to get that, you know, and, and, and I was very grateful. But what, what I, um, what I uh, established, certainly if I look back on these both times now, is, you know, they, they give you coping strategies, mechanisms and stuff. But um, they don't cure you, you know. You're never cured, you know. So it's for me looking back on it now. This is all about it's like a self, it's like a awareness piece, self journey. You know, you know, you behave certain ways, and you think, well, why did I behave like that? Why, you know, start to be a bit more um, sort of analytical as to why we do things that we do, you know. So, so there's that aspect. But um, so there you go. You know. I'm interested about when you you started to get that help. And I wonder about how if we can think about people who are struggling with their mental health, perhaps don't have the experiences you have, but have different experiences. Mm -hmm. And they might be stuck in a circle of whether it's gambling or other addictions. How did you, did you start to feel yourself turning a corner when you got help, when you talked to this psychiatrist? Did, were you able to see... Or notice a difference in yourself. Um, the, the, you know, you feel great after speaking to them because you get all this stuff, all your problems off the, off your chest. And this is me certainly being honest and open here. Um, you drive driving home, you feel fantastic, you feel great for a couple of days, but then it creeps back in again. You see, so you know, certainly my perception um, after being very seriously injured was I was you know very focused on then at the time more in the family. I wasn't too focused on my career. You know, wasn't wasn't too focused in the military, but. But because I've been very serious injured, I experienced severe pain. I, I sort of challenged myself to um, to sort of get my fitness back, and I got it back tenfold. You know, so that was like a like a challenge. But you know, to get to a point where you sort of realise, I don't think you truly do until until um, until you sort of maybe take ownership of your life. I think mm -hmm. you know. You mm -hmm. know? So but for me, for me, taking ownership of my life was when I left and uh, sort of uh, left regular service in two thousand and uh, September two thousand nineteen. And then you get a lot of time then to sort of look back on, reflect, and I think about how 
you know, things have happened and why and you know where. You know, you, you never get you never get the answers fully. But but what you do is what you're doing is you're probably um, you're uh, dissecting. Yeah. You know, periods of your life that were quite low. Yeah. You know, but and just thankfully when there's those periods of my life that were quite low, I did have a, a pretty decent support network with uh, certainly my wife, um, you know, family, uh, who could recognise actually you're you're behaving a bit different. You know. Yeah. You know, you get to a certain point where you actually think, well, actually, you know, you need to do something about this, like you know. And then, certainly for me, the first time, you know, I use that analogy of falling off a cliff face. You know, nobody wants to fall off a cliff face, but I use that because, you know, it is easier to take a couple of steps back. If you can recognise you're getting close to, like, burnout, too much stress, take a couple of, take a couple of steps back, relax, uh, evaluate the situation, and then you'll be better for it to then say, actually, well, I don't need that. You know, thin stuff out your life that you don't mm-hmm. need to do. You know, or maybe that's, that's not adding stress to your life, but it's just taking up more of your time and then, putting you under more pressure in other areas perhaps is probably a better way of putting it. Rather than falling off a cliff face and then having to get somebody to pick you up, build you back back yeah. up together and then, then you've got to try and climb your way back up to that spot that you were before which takes takes a lot longer than it is just to take a couple of steps back. So that's an analogy I use of the sort of cliff face aspect. And it's it's pretty good that, you know, we've got this sort of day and age there where people are more open and honest and they can chat about their experiences and they can and then hopefully I'm hoping that some of the listeners might be able to pick up some some things that they might recognise that they in themselves and they can think actually and then if they take a little bit of advice from this great you know that'd be fantastic yeah. but what you find in this day and age as well is everybody's so busy yeah far far too busy you know you don't get a moment's peace to sort of sit down you know relax and you know and actually process what you've actually been through that day or as i alluded to earlier on uh, you know it's like this morning you know if it's been a traumatic incident you know it takes a long long time for your brain to sort of process exactly what's happened you know and another sort of way of, um, sort of, uh, sort of well, a good way of describing it, it's like choppy seas. You know, so you're nice and calm. You know, somebody drops a like a massive rock into into the sea, or like you know, like a volcano goes off in the sea. Mm-hmm. The sea is all choppy, 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 choppy. It takes a long time for that sea to go back to being calm, and that's your brain. So it takes a long time for your brain to get back to that period of stability and calmness. And and throughout that process, you know, you're doing, you could be doing daft things, you know, you could be drinking, you could be gambling, you could be, you know, like, you know, somebody could say something to you and you could just explode, you know, hit them, you know, and it's for the people round about you to recognise that if they can, and then they say, actually, you know, you know, I think you need to speak to somebody, and then that somebody is not there to cure you, what they'll do is they'll give you that awareness, so that you can then understand exactly, right, actually, I can recognise this happening again, right, mm-hmm. why is it happening again, okay, and then you can sort of uh, try and take that step back, Yeah. so... I seem like a seem like a psychiatrist. <laughs> but but it, it's interesting that what you've done, mm-hmm. and this brings us right back to respite rights. From just from listening to you, Kev, it's clear that what you've done actually is to dig down into your mind and look, kind of internally at what's there, and then rebuild it all, and rebuild it in a way that helps you understand how it's working, mm-hmm. I think. Is that, have I picked that up right, do you think? Or um, is... Yes, but it didn't take me till I left to realise that. Because cause the way that, um, going back to the, the lady, very kind lady, you know, who meant well, who gave us that bit of advice of um, keep your mind busy. Well, you can only do that for so long. And traditionally, um, they, you know, they talk about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder and stuff. And it's not, that's not a, a phrase that I actually quite like, to be honest. You know, I'll talk about that a bit, bit more in a second. But certainly, um, uh, that, keep your mind busy, equates to what they find in the studies is generally 10 years after a traumatic incident, 
on an event that people actually kind of they do fall off the cliff face, you know. And lo and behold, ten years later, they did, you know. You see, so um, but that's because I was keeping my mind busy. Forget little Pandora's box, tight, mm -hmm. put it away. Don't go near that, you know. I've still got it under control in some respects, and I kind of don't want to go near that. You know, I'll go near that when uh, when I feel ready, properly ready. But um, you know, you keep your mind busy to to forget what's happened and to to look forward. You know, and uh, certainly the phrase, uh, you know, I've, um, I heard somebody mention. In fact, he actually at the bottom of his email address, um, don't look back unless you intend on going that way. You know, which is quite That's a good. That's a really good phrase. Which is it? a great phrase. But then the next next part was even better. But take the best from the past and bring it forward with you. Don't look back unless you intend to go that way. But take the best from the past and bring it forward with you. Which I thought was that that really at the time really resonated with me. And I thought, well, Christ, that's, that's you know, it wasn't it wasn't like earth shattering, but I just but, thought, well, that's, you know, just like in that one sentence, it encapsulates quite a lot. It's so much. And I don't know who who came up for that, but I can't remember the, the gentleman's name. But you, you know, he, he had that at the bottom of his email sort of address, and I remember reading that, thinking, you know, so yeah, the power of word, you know, the power yeah, of written text. Absolutely, you know. that's the power of word. You know, let's think about the power of where we are now, because we're mm. sitting out here. It's late August, early September. The sun is beating down. I've probably got burnt by the time we're sitting here. And thankfully I've kept my shades on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it sounds very sp simple, especially when I love cycling. Mm -hmm. I think probably as much as you do, and I understand cycling, I get it. But for those who don't ride bikes, describe the, the kind of the mental health benefit of just being able to move through the environment around us. I mean, we've been cycling for a couple of hours today. We've not seen enough. We've seen two people. Mm. It's great, isn't it? It's lovely. Aye. It's lovely. And, you know, when you're describing that, that fog or that busyness, I look around us now and we've, we've ridden for not far, but there's nothing busy here mm -hmm. at all. Do you get, I, I'm assuming you get that same buzz. All, all the time, all the time. And uh, we're really guilty in the modern um, sort of world, certainly the Western capitalist world, of wishing our lives away. You know, we go to work. And why do we go to work? We go to work because we want to buy things, that, you know, or maybe they signed up to things. We've got debt and all that sort of stuff. We've got bills to pay. You know, life, you know, it's got to go on type thing, you know. So, you know, but when you're in work, you know, you're always looking forward to, I don't know, you're, you're, you're wishing your life away, you know, I want to go on holiday in October, I'm looking forward to that. And you're not really taking in sort of the actual present, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and then what, what nature is good for is actually putting you in the present. So we're sitting in here, we're sitting on a rock, you know, we've got, we've got flowers, we've got sticks, you know, we've got this, um, you know, this nice, nice rolling countryside, you know, you're, you're touching the rock, you know? So you're actually, you're actually connecting, reconnecting with nature, you know? So, and that's, um, and, that, and there's a lot to be said for that. You know the fresh air, taking that bit of downtime as well, just to just to relax. Because I don't know if you don't know if you're aware, but green is a natural colour to relax the eye, and and that in itself um, is a key to your soul. You know, mm -hmm. so you know if you can relax your eyes, you know, looking at computer screens, you know, staring at these sort of uh, little phones, all that sort of stuff all day, it's not good for your uh, your eyes, and it's not good for your you know your psychological and mental health more than anything. You know, because it's boxing you in. Whereas, you know, sitting here, we're looking around, you can see as far as I can see, and that's uh, and, and that really, really does help you sort of connect and ultimately be in the present. You know, you're not, you're not dwelling in the past, or you could dwell in the past a little bit, but what you find is you're processing thoughts a lot easier with no distractions out in, the, out in nature than you, what you would do with sitting in the home or, you know, kids, dogs, people, 
uh, TVs, all reaching into your brain, you know, phones beeping, you know, so that's, and that's a distraction. At least out here you're getting a chance to sit in the present and really sort of like, uh, allow your brain to go back to being a nice, calm sea. So and that's uh, that's very much what um, the the aim of respite rises is for people who who um, are needing that little bit of a break in life or dare I say are probably close to the edge of the cliff face or might even have come off the cliff face you know and they need that little pick up little pick me up or want to reevaluate direction to go in life and then certainly come on a respite ride and then uh, enjoy the nature enjoy the present see all the stunning views you know the electric bikes do all the, the sort of physical hard work but you still get a lot of um, a lot of uh, sort of like, uh, health benefits from that physically, because you're still working the body. You're not you're not although well, you're not working it um, to an extreme, so so it's, it opens up uh, the possibilities to a lot more. Well, opens up the demographic to a wider audience basically. So which then helps people more, because ultimately, our brains you know are, are the key to our bodies really. You know, they, they they tell the body what to do. You know, lift your hand, blink, all that sort of stuff, breathe. You know, so that's the core functions. But then you know the actual perception aspect all sits in your brain. So and if, if you can, if you can uh, give your brain that bit of respite, you know, away from all this sort of modern day stresses and uh, strains and distractions, then then it's a uh, you know it's a, it's a massive win, massive massive positive. I'm, I'm guessing the bike was probably a key a key tool in your mental health recovery as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and. and um, and is that what is that what kind of spurned the whole nugget of respite then? Because it's clear we know you know why we're doing it, the benefit yep. of them but was it your recovery on the bike again that helped blossom this idea blossom uh, absolutely so um if i take you back to sort of 2015 i mean i had uh, so i think uh, i think so it came quite quick the two cliff faces actually and it was all when i look back in it it was all to do with uh, the amount of workload i had on at the time the little um you know little uh relaxation time i had and I certainly look back on some of the reports I had with um, in my in my uh, army career. You know, all said high capacity for work. You know, and then another sentence might say, you know, like uh, work-life balance off kilter, which is quite regularly wrote wrote wrote, wrote into uh, into reports. You know, which basically meant that I was basically just working. Working too I was go, hard. I was, I was, go, I was going, yeah. going in going in at early o'clock in the morning. I was finishing late at night, and I think I was, I was probably making work for myself. Mm-hmm. You know. Because it's just trying to well, keep my mind busy. I was going home. I was in like dinner would be, it'd be in the oven, so it'd all be frazzled, you know. <laughs> so invariably you get a cold dinner, or a frazzled dinner. Um, very grateful to my wife for making my dinner, by the way. Thank <laughs> you very much. But um, and then and then and literally like a zombie, fall asleep, get back up, do it again the next day. You know, so you know for most people, you know, life is busy. But um, but I like to say to people, you know, how busy do you want to be? And then look at how busy do you need to be. And if you don't need to be too busy, then don't be busy. <laughs> you know, because it's going to, you're going to be better for it. You'll be a better person for it. Mm. But to bring that to respite rides, yep. I guess you're helping take people gently within their comfort zone. Yep. Help them develop their mind and open the mind. You can't help but come to where we're sitting now and look around at the view and open your mind up. Oh, absolutely. And it might be frightening. This big open space might be frightening for some people, but I wonder how it would help create open space, slow things down mm-hmm. as well, without taking you into that panic zone you just described, but you are within comfort and perhaps this is a respite ride is a little bit of a stretch, but it helps open the mind. No, absolutely. And certainly um, what my main sort of focus is on is experiential and removing barriers to people coming on these respite rides because 
if they feel, oh, I haven't got a bike, oh, don't worry, I've got a bike, you know. I haven't got a helmet, don't worry, I've got a helmet. I haven't got glasses, gloves. I can get, give them all that sort of kit, you know, no problem at all, you know. So, and then um, they just need, to, just need to turn up on the, on, the, on the actual day, really, and we start. And then very much then, you know, even if they say, well, I don't have the skills to ride a mountain bike, don't worry, you know. There's, there's going to be nothing that's going it's it's to completely sort of uh, throw you, you know, off a cliff face, going back to that aspect. But certainly there's going to be nothing that's going to be, you know, too taxing and put you into panic zone. It's going to be pitched just at the right level so that you're in, you're in this sort of comfort borderline type into sort of stretch, but not, not, not stretch per se. This is very much focused on the mind. It's very much focused on getting uh, the experience, experience, experiential. You know, so it's all about seeing the views, open up the mind. When I say open up the mind, um, uh, my daughter gave, uh, well, she asked me a question like, a good few years ago, and it always sticks with me, is because uh, used to sit like driving around, you know, and I, and I always like to have a, my, my house is on top of a, say top of a hill, it's on a, it's on a hill overlooking of Inverness, and I think the views are spectacular. I can sit in my sort of like, um, little office area that I've got, it sounds posh as it is by the way, um, <laughs> I look at the window and I'm looking across the housing top, uh, the house tops of uh, some of the houses round about us, straight across Inverness, all the way across to Ben Wivis. And I can see the bridge over to the right and uh, you know, see the start of the Great Glen on the left. Fantastic view. And, then, and she certainly asked the question, why do you like the views? You know, what's so special about the views? And I says, well, the views basically, if you look at that as your mind, you know, if, if you can see, you know, as far as I can see, well, that's the limit of your mind, you know. So, and likewise, if you were to open up your curtains one day in a, I don't know, in a city quite tight, and there's a wall in front of your, in front of your window, like within, say, stone's throw, you know, like uh, probably within touching distance, then that's you putting barriers into your, um, into your cycle, well, so consciously putting barriers up in your brain straight away before you even start the day. You're like, oh, oh, look at that view, that's a cracking view, you know. Not because it's a wall, you know, so straight away you're thinking it's, um, it's quite, uh, it's quite uh, restrictive. You know, it's quite um, limiting. It's enclosing, yes. isn't it? It's drawing uh, down on you again. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's feeling like it's putting, it's, you know, it's, it's feeling like it's, it's compressing you, you know, so yeah. type thing. And that's just by the, the, the power of sight. So, and, in, and I do feel, certainly, uh, for people who have lost their sight, because you think, oh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that, that's in itself, but then the other senses do enhance. And certainly for them, you know, certainly, certainly speaking to, you know, my um, grandmother who's lost her sight, for her, her, uh, her uh, thing is talking, she likes to pick up the phone and talk and, you know, she likes, you know, like to describe things and, you know, like to see, you know, that's like a description of, of aspects, which is very much what I try and do with um, sort of, uh, some of the social media aspects I do with sort of Instagram and stuff, you know, putting pretty pictures up of some of the views. Because for me, it's all about taking people to amazing places, you know, the views, and you can see these amazing views. And that then in itself is the start point or could be the start point to them very much unlocking their minds. And then what I'm trying to do with respite rides is give them the opportunity to experience something fantastic. And it could be the catalyst to go in a different direction in life or going, you know, and experiencing something completely, you know, new and uh, wild and fun, you know, rather than and breaking the cycle of, uh, of maybe negativity that's in there. It's very much a growth mindset encouragement, like, you know, so. It sounds a bit like you're continuing your regimental sergeant major role of, <laughs> of previous years of nurturing people, helping them develop, helping, supporting people, trying to bring out the best in people. Absolutely. I mean, you want to, you want to, I like, I get a bit of a buzz seeing people do well, you know, and I see them develop and, you know, you give them a little bit of advice or give them a little seed and you watch them change direction and they go and they blossom. That is fantastic. You know, I, I get a massive buzz out of seeing that. And I certainly found that's very, um, very rewarding, actually, helping others, you know, sort of helping other people with, 
with your own experiences, you know, so, you know, through reliving your own experiences, which is kind of what I'm doing now, like, you know, so I, I really do hope that somebody, um, somebody does resonate with what I'm saying and they maybe take a, I don't know, a, you know, a little snippet away and, you know, try something different or, or, you know, actually, actually that's why I'm behaving like that, you know, <laughs> you know, you know I don't actually yeah, recognising yeah. themselves because it's all about, you know, recognising yourself, you know, self-discovery, you know, so, you know, and then we don't get that chance to do it properly. Yeah. Nature, you can. Nature is doing it. I think we should um, get back on the bikes and go, mm -hmm. um, but just before we do that, Kev, if someone wants to come out for a ride with you on a rest bike ride, how can they find you? You've said you're all over socials, but yep. website? Yeah, so we've got the got the website 42cycling.com, easy enough. Um, there's a whole load of listings on there which could, uh, you know, bookable experiences and stuff which you can go and have a look at and see if there's something that they can they can like. Um, I'm going to be putting, I'll, I'll advertise it more clearly in the future, but certainly the 7th, 8th, there's a Loch Ness 360 ride, which is two days round Loch Ness. Don't need to put the hand in the pocket other than get themselves to Inverness, you know, and maybe get themselves back, you know, or if they're from Inverness, you know, great, turn up at the day on the, at the set time. Uh, with the you know dress to go riding and then I'll give them all the rest of the equipment and we're going to do two awesome days and I don't expect anybody to tell me you know their own it's not like a confessional type thing like you know like when you get uh, alcohol anonymous and they sit around in a, a circle and they talk about themselves none of that sort of stuff it's all about getting outside enjoying the scenery uh, little snippets from myself um, predominantly of that and then in the evening you know get, give a bit more context so but if people are listening to this and they've already got all the context then let's go and have a Jolly good time and a nice ride, yeah. Well, I, I think we should go and do that. We'll put a link to uh, 42cycling.com in the show notes for this mm -hmm. for this podcast. But Kev, thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for talking me through those memories which are clearly still very raw for you. But also just helping me see how much the big open blue sky can help open up your mind and, and free up your mind and help all of us I guess so thank you well thank you Dan thank you very much for giving us the opportunity to um, to talk about this as well like so it's uh, talking is key and uh, and hopefully as I said earlier on that somebody does resonate and, and it could be a difference to somebody getting on a respite radar or even listening to this and then going off and and, uh, and doing something about it because we're not alone are we no so. we're not alone and nobody is alone and everyone should remember that it is okay not to be okay, whatever your circumstances or situation. And if anyone needs it, here's that number for Mikey's line. If you need help or advice, you can text 07786 207755. That's 07786 207755. And you can contact them via Messenger, web chat or Twitter as well. They're available Sunday to Thursday, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Friday to Saturday, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Now, here's Shona McPherson from Mikey's Line with a few thoughts for you to take away. Usually when we carry out an unhelpful or addictive behaviour, the reason that we're doing this is that it's serving a function for us. Um, addiction is usually about escaping pain. And uh, yeah, just listening to Kevin's story there, the, the trauma of war, witnessing his colleague's death, um, blacking out and having a near-death experience himself, 
And then the sort of dislocation of being thrown back into life in the UK with this life-changing injury. It's, it's hard to kind of get our heads around the, the trauma that he's experienced and how, um, how we can cope with these things. Loss of his friend, his identity, his hope. And so Kevin had feelings that he couldn't bear, he couldn't handle. And his gambling, his gaming, um, they would have been ways of numbing the incredibly difficult feelings he had of avoiding those difficult feelings. And the advice that he had to, to keep busy as he sees himself was another way of avoiding those feelings and then overworking, another way of doing that. And I think the main message that I've got from Kevin's story there is that, yeah, just how there's an intelligence to our avoiding as humans. We're not, we don't do these things because we're daft. We do these things to survive. But also that there is hope that Kevin through both help and support from his family, his community and psychological support and his own intuition into how nature was a helpful place for him, he began to recover and um, he began to gain perspective and began to be able to find his way to process trauma through that nature connection, through finding meaning um, through his recovery rides himself. And, he, he gives a really um, strong image about perspective and how that can help, that helped him and how that can help us. If you're struggling right now with perspective, if your problems feel incredibly close and it's hard to put them in context, that image that he gave of looking out of his window and this image that, that there could be when we're feeling really traumatised ourselves or really we're really suffering ourselves it can be like we're looking out onto a wall and we can't see beyond that but as we begin to pay attention be in the present moment find ways to soothe ourselves it's like our perspective will begin to grow we'll see beyond the wall we'll begin to see the hedge the fields the hills so yeah I suppose my, my hope for you listening to this is that you can hope that you can heal, that your perspective will shift, that the pain will always be there, that wall might always be there in front of the window, but it's part of a bigger landscape and a landscape that can hold our pain. So if you are struggling today, please don't be alone and um, reach out to someone you trust and we're here at Mikey's Line to support you as well. Huge thanks to Shona and all the team at Mikey's Line for the work they do. Speaking of Suicide is made for and in collaboration with Mikey's Line. The podcast platform is sponsored by D&D Paving Limited. Please do like, share and comment about the podcast. And if you want to get involved by sponsoring an episode or telling your story, get in touch with Mikey's Line. Speaking of Suicide is an adventurous audio production and the music is Nana by Tom Ireland. Mm-hmm.